down with RTT. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure what that means, but here I am. 53. 53, number 53, 5-3. Five, We're down. Uh, we're still in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Um, yeah, we, yeah, and we are um, here in great state of Missouri uh, trying to figure out how to reassemble for church and figuring out what that's all going to look like and uh right sent sending a survey out see what people think and yeah that is a wilderness uh, resource speaking of a wilderness yeah uh we're trying to find our way through that and uh you know we live in a world chad i'm not sure if you knew this but uh jacob is listening to so you know feel free to be uh to be enriched uh we live in a world in which not everyone uh will be happy uh we live in a world in which some people uh will insist upon unhappiness no matter what you do so uh as we talk about this we're going to certainly have people who there's just no way around it some people are gonna think do think we should meet no no big deal no nothing so other people are like oh no it's not ready even with all the distancing and the cleaning the masks we're not ready to meet and every opinion in between and so mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's you know the challenge of leadership of uh how do you how do you navigate through that and let's try to meet and be god's people whether you're watching at home or whether you feel like you can find your way in and uh still be to disagree and still be unified in god's purpose and identity and that's really difficult that's part of the wilderness we're in i think you think difficult to difficult to um disagree and yeah commit disagree and participate disagree and i'm fine with people having that opinion i just don't think that way but let's all go forward i think all of the above to disagree and identify like i think in certain issues like how you respond to the pandemic there's a certain identity mm-hmm. to i'm this kind of person i'm this kind of person uh and in fact i was uh I have a I have a member of my family, a brother who is uh, sort of on the skeptical side of the whole thing or whatever. I'll just put it as kindly as softly as possible. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things he, you know, we're going back and forth on Facebook. You know, he's messaged me about he sent me a video and what did I think and so on and so on. And uh, he said, "Okay, just don't just don't fall for the narrative." And I said, "What narrative? <laughs> what yeah. narrative? Which one am I?" He really for? didn't have an answer. It's just, that's the thing. Like, are you pre- people who have fallen for the narrative or haven't fallen or whatever? It's almost an identify with, like, can we identify to be God's people, even though we're identified in different parts of the political spectrum, different parts of response to a pandemic, different opinions about theology, culture, society. I mean, it's an important question for God's people. Right. And it's something that this particular wilderness that we're in has sort of thrown in our faces. Or can you still identify with someone with whom you disagree, with someone with whom who identifies in a dirt a certain you know, different way than you do? Uh, I just think that's really hard in our culture, that's really hard for us. I think that's true. And you know, Mike, when I think about um this type of decision making for me, it falls in the category of the wisdom literature in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And one of the strong uh, impulses that we see in the book of Proverbs is uh, how are you being responsible within your relationship to others in the community of faith? 
So not just am I responsible for me, but how am I responsible for others? And so, uh, you know, I think I have a, I have a, I don't have a challenge with people being overly cautious. I really don't. I don't tend to be that way right now. But I think when I think about people who are so dismissive or, or they tend to be maybe reckless uh, with this conversation or even their actions, when it might harm others, to me, that falls under the wisdom category of, well, I don't think that's responsible mm-hmm. towards, towards the, uh, towards your neighbor. How mm. can you like responsibility to them is loving to them. Does that make sense? Right. I do. I think it does. And, and of course, part of it, it sort of then melds into the, uh, weaker brother conversation as well, mm-hmm. where, you know, people ask Paul, is it okay to eat meat found in the marketplace? Some of that meat might've been sacrificed to idols. Uh, and it's, you know, Paul's response is sort of interesting. It's, Hey, it's, you know, whatever, it's a block of wood that it's, it's meat. God, you know, it's, we could eat, right. we eat with thankfulness. That's actually the right answer, but I won't eat meat if it, if it impacts negatively my brother or sister, mm-hmm. I should, I'll never eat meat again is what he says, mm-hmm. if that's the yeah. case. And that's sort of what we're talking about is what, how can the body be the body when we don't agree and, but we have to agree on a common set of actions. Yeah. What does that look like? And so it's not even about being right and who's right in that, in that, you know, disagreement, but, because uh, Paul would say, listen, I'm right. It's just a block of wood. You can eat the meat. But if eating the meat harms your neighbor's faith, well, you shouldn't eat the meat, obviously. Yep. That's like a no-brainer. And I think that's sort of like how, how, how can we be God's people together in a, in a wilderness that might tend to divide us according to whatever narrative you know, we tend to ascribe to. Well, uh, everybody thinks they're right. Everyone, that's, that's really true. I think that's a true, you know, it's an overlooked, but uh, it sounds like a tautology or a truism, but I think that everyone thinks they're right is a profound statement because that means that I think I'm right doesn't Mm -hmm. really mean anything because you think you're right and they think they're right and we disagree. So that doesn't, at the end of the day, decide anything. It doesn't. And I, I think especially just, you know, church context, we are called to, to this Paul said, I'm right. That doesn't make a difference. I sacrifice my rightness on the altar of loving responsibility. Yes. Like I'm right. thinking, I, obviously I think I'm right, but I'm thinking about the other person and I need to consider how this impacts them. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's, you know, we tend to think, well, I'm right. I'm just going to convince you. And if I can't convince you, I'm sorry, I'm right. I'm going to do what I think. Um, and that's not just in this, I mean, again, I think this particular wilderness has sort of shined a light on it, but we do that with cultural issues, theological issues, all sorts of political issues, uh, where what seems right seems obvious to me, but I have to recognize it's not obvious to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And how I interact with that person is way more important than whether I'm right or not about politics, pandemic, culture whatever, which is a challenge, uh, for us. Well, I think you just said it and it, and in Christianity, it's for some reason we, we lose sight of this, how I interact with that other person is way more important than what I think about the situation. Yes. I might have the right doctrine and be completely irresponsible to that person. Then I just, I, I, 
I, I lose credibility, especially in the realm of love. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Right. And that's, um, you know, I do sometimes, I, I'm on Twitter sometimes because there's authors that I follow, writers that I follow. Uh, and I just see a lot of stuff on there. I, once you start having a theological argument on Twitter, you kind of lost already. I mean, you've even even if you're right, you're wrong. I mean, yeah. it's there's yeah. no good way to have. It's just not a forum for a real fruitful interchange, right? right. It's just not. And so, um, anyway, but that's sort of the game uh, we're set up to play in if we're not careful. Uh, and it's part of the wilderness. It's part of. The, I mean, it's it's something we have to all confront now, which. Um, I do think there's an advantage. It's one of the things the wilderness does is it forces us to confront things in an area where we probably should have maybe dealt with it. Like how do I, if we disagree about how to handle the pandemic and we're going to come back together for worship, how do we do that in a way that's honoring and loving to everyone there mm-hmm. is the really the same question as how do we, interact with people who have differences politically or differences culturally or differences theologically. It's really the same question. We just kind of have to deal with it now in this wilderness, which is maybe one of the benefits of the wilderness. It sort of forces us, you know, forces it on us, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah, I do think it's, 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 you know, again, we've said this before, but it's not like God brought the wilderness necessarily. That's a, it's a providential question, but he does mean to redeem it. He does mean to use it. Mm-hmm. He does mean to change us in it. And uh, that's probably something we need to figure out how not to waste it. Right. Yeah. And, and I would argue that this, one of the indicators of spiritual maturity, Christ-like maturity in the wilderness, especially as it relates to reopening is that I'm, I'm not victim or victimizer, right? I'm not using my position or my rights to, you know, say this is how we have to do it or else whatever. And I'm not saying, well, you guys are going to do this. That just, I totally disagree with it. Therefore we're done. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, right. it, it's neither yes. of those. Yes. It's, you know what? I don't know if I agree with that, but I'm going to support going forward from, from over here, I can still be a part of the church. You know, maybe I just need to stay home longer and that's where I'm more comfortable with. That's fine. Um, I don't, I'm, maybe it's too early for some people, but you know what? I understand that you guys need to reopen and that's how you're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. I do think that's right. Cause I do think that's part of our natural response. Uh, instead of just grieving the fallen nature of things that things aren't as they ought, I need to either, force some sort of change on in some unwilling party, or I need to just say, you know, I'm just the victim of, of somebody else's, you know, situation. And I think that's, you know, it's, it's like we want to have someone to blame or point at or explain when sometimes there just isn't the virus is here and we're just trying to, everybody's trying to deal with it the best they can. And probably nobody's getting exactly what they want. Uh, and so nobody has to, you don't have to be mad at anybody, uh, or blame anybody. It's just, we we have to have, find some way through. So let's come together and and find it through. And I think that's a lot harder, but healthier than those people are doing it wrong. Um, because, you know, I'm not even sure what doing it right looks like 
Exactly. Like n- nobody is really totally sure what doing it right looks like. We're all just trying to do our best. Right. And I think the wilderness, we've said this before, there's a new stress level in the wilderness. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes, and sometimes when you get stressed in the wilderness, you think, well, I can make better decisions than so-and-so. Mm-hmm. Right? And if I was, and you even see that in the scriptures, like, well, we wouldn't do it this way and we want to be in charge. We want to be our own right. tribe or we want to be our own nation. And um, it's, it's, it's easy to kind of be armchair leader or armchair theologian when you're not in the position, yeah. right? Of the burden of like making the decisions and thinking about the well-being of people. Right. Yeah. That what, and that's comes back to if I kind of own a certain proper level of responsibility, then I am responsible to other people, even if I'm not in charge. Uh, and I think that's, you know, a healthy thing. Uh, you know, one of the, one of the passages we're going to look at uh, today is from uh, the people of Israel are in the wilderness <clears throat> and uh, they're grumbling. Uh, and they did grumble a lot. Uh, they grumbled about, hey, we don't want to go back to Egypt, even though they were slaves in Egypt and killed. And, you know, they had to, you know, had to kill their firstborn. It's just, you know, it seems absurd, but, you know, that's, they, they wanted to go back and, you know, not enough food or whatever. Um, and in Exodus 16, um, you know, Moses is going up in the mountain and coming, you know, hearing from the Lord and coming back down. And, and, he, and then Moses told Aaron, this is starting in verse nine, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord for he has heard your grumbling, uh, which is, you know, I'm sure that's, <laughs> that's, not, that's not what you want to hear. Hey, dad, uh, dad heard you guys fight. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So while Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then, then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp. In the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? Well, that's what manna translates to. Isn't that funny? Yeah, for, they did, not know, for they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person. That's just a measure uh, you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some gathered little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, no, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. <laughs> they, kept, they kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. <laughs> so Moses was angry with them. <laughs> I think we should put together just a leadership talk on this passage. Just, yeah, look, it seems really clear. Some, some people do it and then some people are like, not listening. <laughs> right. Right. It's way easier to gather twice as much and not have to go out tomorrow. <laughs> Which, you know what? It's true. I mean, it's that's true. part of the point. It is way easier. Maybe that's why the Lord doesn't want you to do it. He wants you to go out. He wants you to not have food when you wake up now and have to on. go out, right? And Please. have to go out and gather it, that he's going to bring it every day. That's that's his deal. That's part of the deal of being in the wilderness is, um, you know, it's the wilderness, so there's, you know, start at the beginning. It's the wilderness, so I might grumble, right? Mm-hmm. And 
So it seems of, well, of course they grumbled, you know, they're Mm -hmm. wandering around in the desert and yet the grumbling says something about, um, you know, that they're grumbling, you know, says something about who they are, uh, says something about, um, you know, that, you know, it's easy to grumble and, and yet grumbling's grumbling's understandable, but not good. Mm. Uh, right. And, and it was in that place, the, you know, the grumbling, the grumbling of the Israelites and that, in that place, you know, you'll ha- you know, twilight, you'll eat meat, the morning will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. And I think that's the one of the key points is um, when I, you know, when I'm in a place where I'm relying on only what God is giving me, then grumbling seems out of place, one. And two, then I will know that he is the Lord my God. Um, what do you think he means by that, that, last, that last sentence? Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. I don't know. I really don't. I mean, I, I, I'm trying not to hear through the filter of he's just reacting punitively, like, well, I'm going to teach you a lesson. And yet I think there is a lesson to be learned. Um, but I don't think God is, um, you know, small like that. Mm-hmm. But I do think there is a, okay, I'm the covenant king. I brought you out of slavery to Egypt. It's almost like there's uh, Augustine talked about, you know, sin keeps us so self-deceived. It's like a sick person who's so sick that the physician comes in to help them and they don't realize it's the physician and they wail against the physician. And so it's almost as if there's a level of insanity here um, with, you're talking about, I wish we could go back into slavery. That's what the grumbling is evident of. Mm-hmm. I wish we could mm-hmm. go back to Egypt. We had it so much better there. That's completely, you're not in your right mind. So I do think there is this, I'm going to help bring you into a, a state of sobriety, of spiritual sobriety, where you do re- realize who I am, what I've mm-hmm. done, mm-hmm. how I'm here for you. Um, I don't know, maybe to help you grow out of grumbling. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's the intent. I think God intends things. I don't think they're always accomplished in our own lives because he gives us the freedom to resist those things. Um, and so I think he intends to help them grow out of grumbling into a place of daily dependence and gratitude. And Hey, this is good. God provides, we eat. He's our, he's our Lord. That's a good a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that f- that knowing that this is the Lord my God is a, is a thing that's good enough in itself. Mm-hmm. And if I can only get that in the wilderness, then the wilderness is good for that purpose. Like uh, if back in Egypt, I didn't really know that it was the Lord my God. That you know that that uh, I, I was I was distracted by everything else. Now I'm here in the wilderness, and all I have is bread. All I have is manna. All I have is quail. That's all I get. I got manna. I got quail. I got the Lord. Now I know that it's the Lord. 
my God, that now I know that I'm one of God's children in God's community, God's people following God, pillar of fire by night, pillar of cloud by day. And without, it seems implied to me that without that, I forget that Mm. I forget it's the Lord, my God. Like, and there's this, um, it's like there's something necessary about the wilderness that, you know, because what not in the wilderness means, whether it's the imagined promised land or back in Egypt means independence. It means self-sufficiency. It means comfort, confidence, self-assurance, you know, and there's something about all of those things that we lose when we're not in the wilderness and something about all of those things that, you know, the wilderness sort of chokes out all the independent self-sufficiency, comfort, confidence out of us sometimes. And that's sometimes what we need. Mm-hmm. And all we got left is bread and meat and water and the Lord mm-hmm. and, you know, our daily bread. Uh, we have the gospel, we have the spirit, we have his presence, we have his people. And that's when we really know that he is the Lord, our God. And with, and with independent self-sufficiency, comfort, confidence, self-assurance, we forget. We, we lose focus. You, you know how I think, um, this may sound a bit harsh, to, uh, but I think some people think most of humanity lives on autopilot. And so we're just kind of going through the motions, um, just subconsciously living life, making decisions, or not even really aware of it. Here's how I think you can waste the wilderness, because as soon as we went into um, quarantine and kind of uh, lockdown, stay-at-home orders, people began to strategize on, um, you know, how, wh- where am I going to get my stuff and how am I going to mm-hmm. get food and your your mind toilet goes paper. to the paper, toilet paper but yeah. then and so but then your mind goes to a lot of other different things like how, what am i going to watch how are we going to do this blah 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 basically like i'm going to distract myself from the barrenness of the wilderness with all the things i actually distracted myself with beforehand um, right. in, a, in a different box, in same a different thing. box. And then now we're talk, starting to talk about, well, can we reopen and all, uh, you know, states are lifting the ban and all that stuff. Okay. Now I can just, I don't even have to face the wilderness. Now I can just distract myself now with when we get back, I got to do this and it's going to be like this and I have to have in this and all those are plans and they have to be made. That's normal stuff. But I just feel like unless you were trying to pay attention to stuff under that anyways, they just become a really easy opportunity for distracting you from God's intention in the wilderness. Yeah, right. Right. The very purpose of the wilderness is lost, uh, potentially. Um, and it's so that's where sometimes the wilderness is spiritually revitalizing. Uh, and sometimes coming back from the wilderness might be spiritually deadening. Um, because, you know, because of our plans and purposes and, you know, uh, distractions and, and so on. Um, I do think that's, uh, I do think one good thing about a bad situation is this sense, and I don't know some, you know, I don't know who, if people had this or not to the extent that they had it. Yeah, we got pretty much got a handle on things, you know, nothing Ter- terribly bad. I mean, it's like World War Three is probably not going to happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, 
I mean, nothing terrible is going to happen. There's not likely going to be a great depression or all that stuff's in the past, um, which wasn't true. It's, you know, you look at history and that's probably been said a million times and it's never true. Like, uh, because we live in a fallen world and, and, uh, so something was going to happen. We just didn't know what it was. Um, because in, in the sense, you know, we're never going to be spiritually at home here anyway. And so we almost need something to happen to shake us out of our, uh, our slumber. Yeah. Uh, and you know, again, uh, not to delve into providence. I don't know why this particular thing happened, uh, but God does mean to use it, mean to redeem it. And so it would be a shame. Um, so maybe to put a cap on this point, I'm trying to make if possible and not making, making the point real clearly, it would be a shame if in two years, three years, whatever, for five years, when this whole coronavirus thing is in our rearview mirror, to to be in the same place spiritually or to have mm. regret spiritually, that would be this. That would be the wilderness wasted. That would be the opportunity wasted. Yeah, that would be a shame. It would be a shame, and it would be a shame if just humanity as a whole didn't come out more humane from this. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, yeah. less bickering, less fighting, less backstabbing, more understanding more conversation seeking i i don't know um what that if that can will happen i know it can um but it would be a shame it would be a shame for the people of god not to lead the way mm-hmm. um confidently yeah. um and as a result of this and with spiritual maturity living yeah. it okay so i have a, a something else Uh-oh. That, I've, that i've been wondering You've been cooking uh, up something. Been cooking up something. Um, it's an uncomfortable topic, perhaps. But what does the discipline of the Lord mean? What does mm. it entail? What does it look like? What does or doesn't that have to do with a wilderness or this wilderness? Yeah, uh, because isn't the discipline of the Lord a good thing? What What is that? I mean, what is it? And how how may or may not this apply, or how might we apply it well or misapply this uh, in this situation? Yeah, I don't. I have um, little theological patience for people that want uh, to disregard the cohesion of the story of the scriptures and say something like, "Well, that's that's the God back then, or the God of that time mm-hmm. or dispensation, not not, mm-hmm. not Jesus." Mm-hmm. I think Jesus brings to sh- into sharp, f- lucid focus who God is. So we should always look at, you know, put our Jesus lens on as we're looking through Scripture. But um, Hebrews is very clear. Um, that's that, a New Testament book, actually. That's a New Testament yeah. book. I'm going to mm-hmm. shoot for Apollos as the author, but that's just mm-hmm. me. You can go, Paul. That's right. But it's... Uh, I'm in the he, don't care camp. Uh, yeah, I yeah. think I'm in there too. Yeah. But it's... Uh, he disciplines those he loves. And when I think about that, I think that there are elements in life where God disciplines us. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's a bit of a... I don't know how to say it. Um we go through a process of, okay, God is 
pressing on me. Um, I'm, I'm in a, a challenging time. Um, maybe I've got myself lost in a, in a path. Maybe I'm, you know, like the Israelites are grumbling, they're grumbling. Um, yeah, it's his, it's his love that causes him to discipline the people of God. Or even in first Corinthians, Paul's really clear. You guys are coming together for communion. The Lord's supper as a, as a feast and you're getting drunk. It's the wealthy people getting drunk and eating all the food when the poor people in church are showing up and there's no food for them. And Paul says, you're doing it so much that some of you've died mm-hmm. and it's God's discipline on you. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, yeah, I think I don't want to ignore the scriptures. I don't always get to interpret what that is. Like if, you know, Mike has a hardship, I don't get to say, well, God's disciplining you. Um, he might be. Uh, but I do think God disciplines his children. Um, and I think he lovingly disciplines his children to bring us uh, back to faithfulness, to purity of heart, um, cause us dependency on him. Right. And Jesus said, you know, the vine is pruned, right? So pruning of the vine to make the other part, the fruitful part more pr- fruitful. And so I just think that it would be a shame to have to be pruned and yet not be more fruitful. It would be a shame to be disciplined and yet not be corrected and learn anything. Not saying that the the purpose of the pandemic is to discipline me or discipline believers, but that the Lord may seek to discipline me in this situation, probably is seeking to discipline me in this situation because I need it. And so what is that? What does that look like? You know, what do I need? The autopilot part of my life. Okay. So I can't be on autopilot now. That's probably a good thing. So let's look at, you know, what part of what autopilot part of my life do I need to question? Do I need to say, eh, probably should re-examine that. Probably I didn't notice that before, but now I've noticed it. Uh, I probably need to get rid of that. Even if I'm not totally successful in getting rid of it, because that's, you know, that's harder, but it's still a step forward to say, that's not great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's not the way forward. Even if I can't necessarily just decided to change, it's still a it's still a good a humbling and clarifying the thing to say, yeah, that's thing that is true about me that I figured out only in the wilderness. Uh, I know it now. I know it's true about me. So I gotta, I gotta. That's a thing I gotta deal with, right? Yeah, I, I think that I, I think that's true. My mind first goes to the the healthy resp- like how do i know that god's discipline in my life has been effective and and my mind first goes to repentance that i he doesn't just discipline me because i'm his child and i'm walking along he disciplines me because there's probably th- things i need to repent from and and i would say there's two levels of repentance there's a a normal behavioral kind of obvious repentance like uh, i repent for sinning or for doing the things I know I should do. But then there's a motivational repentance and I'm still in this from Keller. And he talks about, um, in his book, the prodigal God, a motivational repentance is I repent. I don't just repent of the wrong things I do. I repent of the reasons I do things, even the good things, Mm -hmm. like even the good things, I'm going to have motives in there that are very selfish, very self-serving, self-exalting, whatever that is. So there's the behavior repentance, but then there's a motivational repentance of even my, my best works and my service to God and my kindness to others. 
I have self and ego in a way in there that mixes it up and muddies the waters. And so I, I re- learn to repent from even those things, which basically just looks like confession and prayer for, you know, purity of heart yeah. to me, because you can't yeah. change your heart. And that's, to me, that's what motivational repentance looks like. But yeah. I think, I think those two things, if we could, like you said, there's probably things about me that I need to realize and own up. Like that's a level of repentance. Like I need to face those things about my heart. Yeah. And I do think the good things, you know, that something can be good and still a cause of, of sin is, uh, is something we sort of theologically know, but don't always grapple with. And so, yeah, my, the, the money that I've been saving for retirement, that's not a bad thing, but it might take it being questioned by a, you know, global downturn because of a pandemic to, to face the fact that that's not really what my future is. That's mm-hmm. not really my security. Yeah. Uh, and that's a hard discipline. And it's, you know, if my business that may be struggling or whatever, that, um, and I do think like if that's the, you know, the people of Israel were in a, were in a desert for 40 years, uh, and, you know, some people are going through their desert right now, or maybe just entering it because of this pandemic, um, it would be a shame to, to not, uh, for it not to be fruitful, it would be a shame for not you not to re-examine like what really was I living for? Am I living for what? Where really is my heart and my treasure? Uh, and what? Um, and I think for me, part of it is just again. I think independence is not a bad thing. I think self sufficiency is not a bad thing. I think self assurance is not a bad thing. I tend to think I'm all three of those things. However. At some point, I I I want to identify too closely with them. I want to lean on them too much in a way that is not actually true because I'm not really independent. I'm not really self-sufficient. Right. I mean, in the sense of spiritual, in the sense of real life self-sufficiency, I need other people. I'm bound to other people. Uh, you know, what I do impacts other people. Um, and I think that, there, there's sometimes our apple cart has to be kind of pushed over before we actually, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, I need to actually think about that. That, uh, and when everything's good, it's just easy to flow on down the road and, and you know, go enjoy life and not really think too much about it. You know, my heart and other people, and in a sense, to not see that it is the Lord my God who's actually there. Yeah. Uh, not see the glory of the Lord. Because uh, that's what I like about, you know, this this passage. It says, um, the glory of the Lord was appearing in the cloud. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert. And there was, and so this in the context of their grumbling and the Lord answering their glumbering, glum, grumbling in the wilderness, there was the glory of the Lord appearing. And so that sounds both wonderful and a little mm-hmm. foreboding, like mm-hmm. a little, like this is serious business here. Mm-hmm. Like, let's hear the glum, grum, you know, let's hear your grumble now. Right. Uh, and I think, what does it take for me to see the glory of the Lord? And maybe it takes this, right? And it's better to see it than to not have a wilderness and not see it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. And I, I do think it's, 
I think there's um, at certain points in certain generations, there's certain emphases on aspects of God. And I think, you know, maybe 50, 60 years ago, uh, people leaned on the transcendence of God or the holiness of God. And those aspects were coming forth 100, 200 years ago for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then now um, the eminence of God or the nearness and the closeness and the love of God and the kindness, both of those are true and both of those are equally good. I think there's a bit of an imbalance uh, on that regard uh, because the glory of the Lord's in our midst. And I'm not sure we tremble at his, at mm-hmm. the glory. Right. I think right. maybe we um, think it's a trifle. We, you know, um, we, we make it too familiar. Yeah. 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 And I think it is hard to hold those two things in balance. Yeah. And I, they're both God. equally true. Yeah. That, you know, not as close that he's gracious and loving. He's also serious business and, you know, don't trifle with him. Uh, and somehow both of those things are true. And, and that he disciplines me. He can be close and loving and gracious and discipline me for my good and prune me for more fruitfulness. All of those things are not actually in contradiction uh, with one another. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got. Sometimes we need the wilderness to see the glory of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, that might have been a much shorter podcast just to say that. <laughs> but I think it's true. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't know that it's necessarily like, <coughs> that's not by design, but because we're fallen, because we live in a fallen world, because we have fallen hearts, sometimes we need the wilderness to see the glory of the Lord. And in that case, the wilderness actually is a good thing. Or redeemed. That's true. And sometimes we don't even realize we missed it until we're out of the wilderness. And then we look back and think, oh, glory to the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. So let's leave it there. Let's, uh, you know, sort of the encouragement is can you see the glory of the Lord in this wilderness? Uh, and all the bad things that are happening, uh, can, you know, can, can you see God's glory in your life and in your family and your church and your world? Uh, and uh, as you do that, We wish you grace and peace. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks, a Calvary Church media production podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.